Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hello and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. I'm your host today, Dr. Hal Altman, and we have a very special guest, Dr. Andrew Koop, who's going to uh, talk a little bit about synthetic cannabinoids and maybe some other issues. Dr. Koop, welcome. Really, it's a real pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Dr. Altman. Well, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit because I think our, our, our readers need to know just what sort of expertise you bring to the subject. Dr. Koop is Professor and Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. He co-designed four courses in the Medical Cannabis Science and Therapeutics MS program and is currently working on a fifth course on cannabis advocacy. Dr. Koop earned his BA and MA from the University of Oxford and his PhD in chemistry from the University of Bristol. He has a real passion for communicating with the public about the impact of abuse. He was featured on Baltimore local TV. He's participated in three university organized educational opioid panels around Maryland and has been quoted in multiple publications, including The Atlantic, The Smithsonian, The Washington Post, and the best-selling book, Dreamland. He sought for lectures on his expertise on the chemistry and pharmacology of drugs with abuse liability, has served as an expert witness in federal and state criminal trials, and testified to the U.S. Senate Help Committee in February 2019 on approaches to treat pain during the opioid crisis. On a personal note, Dr. Koop was one of my instructors at the MCST program and is absolutely a favorite lecturer in that program. And uh, we are just absolutely thrilled to have him join us today. Hal, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. I really support everything you're doing. And I think this is absolutely wonderful. Well, with that, uh, I, I think our, our listening audience can tell that you didn't grow up in Baltimore, but you spent, <laughs> <laughs> you spent the last uh, 25 years or so uh, at the university. Um, yes. But before we get into what you're doing currently, I, I think the audience would really enjoy hearing a little bit about your formative years in terms of um, your education and training, and specifically about how that education and training got you interested in synthetic chemistry. Well, thank you very much for that, um, Hal. I, um, I was actually born and raised in a small town in the north of England. It's a small town called Halifax. When I say Halifax, you all think Halifax, Nova Scotia. But the original Halifax in Yorkshire is a, it's a very a blue-collar town with many of the issues that post-industrial towns have. So growing up, I saw many of the issues, and most of the issues back then were due to alcohol. But I saw the impact that the abuse of drugs has on many, many lives. 
I had a passion for chemistry as a relatively young individual. And from a town like mine, I had the opportunity through outreach to go to the University of Oxford. And I was the first person from my high school to actually go to the University of Oxford. And I had an absolutely wonderful education there. My parents were very, very supportive and helped support me. My mother, still alive, my late father, I owe them everything for supporting me in the education. I've grown from there and the education, I obviously came over to the States and all the education I received both back in England and here in the United States, it is now my goal at this stage of my life to give back, to give back all the knowledge, the expertise I have to give back, to help everyone and the society here in the United States, which is, as you mentioned, I've testified to the Senate and I do take part as an expert witness in criminal trials because in terms of my research, I can publish papers, I can do things like that, but that doesn't impact the individual and I really want to impact the individual. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Cooper. Um, I knew the audience would, would really enjoy hearing that. What I'd like to do now is to uh, get into one of your favorite subjects, synthetic cannabinoids, and m- maybe explore a little bit of the, the history, because I think in the beginning it was a noble history, and certainly the developers were trying to do good. Uh, unfortunately, as time went on, their recipes, if you will, for their chemistry were pirated in the black market and then showed up on our streets and really created uh, some significant and maybe continue to create significant problems with unsuspecting users. Could you take walk us through uh, the, the, a brief history of the synthetics? Of course, and I'll do my best not to have this turn into a lecture, um, which is what tends to happen. So um, you are correct, Al. It was a noble, it was a noble start. It really was. If we think about um, cannabinoids, think about, let's let's just say Delta-9 THC. The actions of Delta-9 THC, the pharmacology, the mechanism of how Delta 9 THC exerts its effects is through interaction with biological targets, mostly in terms of the neuroactive effects that what are called receptors within the CNS, within the central nervous system. Dr. Coop, if it, if it, if it helps, our listeners have um, suffered through our attempt to teach them about the ECS. Okay. So, so they're well aware of CB1 and the endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids, etc., etc. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that. So the synthetic cannabinoids all comes from an original researcher, John Hoffman, and Dr. Huffman, his aim was to develop synthetic cannabinoids that are agonists that activate the CB1, CB2 receptors to allow us to have the research tools to actually study what the activation of these receptors caused. So you may well, in terms of the synthetic cannabinoids, have seen the initials JWH, like JWH 018, 019. Well, the JWH 
is because of John Huffman, John W. Huffman. These are actually his initials. He developed these tools to allow us to delineate the function of CB1 and CB2 receptors. They are agonists at these receptors. They do mimic the actions of your cannabinoids and your endogenous cannabinoids, but they are far more potent. They are far more potent. In addition to that, they have something called higher efficacy. Now, I'm not sure about the higher efficacy, but the best way I have of explaining this is if we think about an analogy to the opioid epidemic. In fact, I was driving in this morning listening to NPR talking about fentanyl. The synthetic cannabinoids, their relationship to, say, Delta 9 THC is very similar to the relationship between the fentanyls and, say, your standard opioids such as heroin, morphine, etc. They are far more potent and they have a higher ceiling of effects. So, if we have any sort of plant material, it can be sprayed with a solution of the synthetic cannabinoid, dried, and these were actually sold everywhere at one point. The problem is this, just like with fentanyl in the opioids, you don't know the amount you're getting, they're far more potent. A change in dose a little bit one way or the other, because you know none of this is FDA approved, can lead to overdose. And unlike Delta 9 THC, you can indeed overdose on the synthetics. The reason being is that I said there's a higher ceiling to the effects. So what tends to happen with high doses, and when I say high doses, relatively high doses of these synthetic cannabinoids is they do lead to hypothermia. So the hypothermia can have significant effects in terms of lethality. So the synthetic cannabinoids are introduced into any plant material, sold as bath salts as they were, etc. But because of that higher ceiling of effects, the higher efficacy can indeed, unlike Delta 9, can indeed lead to overdose and lethal effects. So the chemical structure of these synthetics, and, and just for our listeners, the street name, common street name for these synthetics, K2, Spice, there are a number of others. Um, but their chemical structure is different from THC, but their agonism for CB1 is much higher, stronger potency. Is that correct? That is correct. They are very different structures. Again, let's get back to the analogy of, of fentanyl to the, you know, heroin. Fentanyl is a very different chemical structure to heroin. But just like those, the synthetic cannabinoids versus Delta 9 THC, they are very different structures. But that doesn't mean that they're not recognized by the receptors. They can still bind and interact with the receptors. So the chemical structure here doesn't really matter. What matter? Well, it does matter, but in t it doesn't matter in terms of their different chemical structures. What matters is they are both recognized by the CB1, CB2 receptors and activate as agonists, those receptors. I was, I was actually 
yesterday on the BBC website, there was actually a wonderful video on the BBC website about the issue of synthetic cannabinoids. They're calling it Kush over there in Sierra Leone. And it is actually, if you get the chance, it's on the BBC, if you get the chance to watch it, it is heartbreaking, the impact of these synthetic cannabinoids. Well, I know in this country, a few years ago, uh, there was a a zombie-like state that was reported in Brooklyn, I believe. And again, it was um, bath salts that, using public understood, they weren't bath salts, that they were synthetic cannabinoids, and they were mostly smoking them for the high. So just in terms of degree of effect, contrasting the synthetics, the K2, the Kush, 2-THC, and street cannabis, uh, what, what sorts of things do we see with these compounds? So in addition to the hypothermia I've mentioned, we also get the other things like psychosis, things that are sometimes reported with street cannabis, but not to a great extent, are much more reported with the synthetic. So things such as psychosis, things such as you're saying, effectively delirium, sedation, everything you would expect from a drug that has neuroactive effects, you are seeing increased of all these effects. So delirium, sedation, psychosis, and then of course, the potential lethality. We've covered uh, in past podcasts that THC is, um, we're not aware of any lethal doses of THC. We'd have to take in quite a bit of, of THC to be able to do that. And it probably isn't possible to smoke enough. But there have been deaths reported with the synthetics. Oh, yeah. There have been many deaths reported with the synthetics. And it's, as, as I said, it's thought, and again, just as a scientist, let me say that it's thought to be due to this higher ceiling of effects. The one thing to bear in mind, though, is that the synthetics do indeed interact with other biological systems. So just for total openness, they do interact with other systems such as the serotonin system. So they do interact with a range of other systems. So this is why you see these other effects as well. But yes, there have been deaths, and unfortunately, in the criminal trials that I've been involved in, they often do indeed have deaths have been reported with these compounds. So in your work as uh, an expert witness, what typically brings these things to court? Well, this is actually, I find it fascinating, but it, it's, a, it's a rather obscure thing. If we think about the chemical structures, and now I'm going to say that chemical structures do matter, and for this they do. If we think about a chemical structure and we change one atom, say we change a hydrogen for a chlorine or, 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 a, or a CH3 for a chlorine or a fluorine or something, or we change a carbon, so for instance, the difference between methanol and ethanol is just one carbon atom. If we make a small change like that to a chemical structure, it is a completely different compound. It is a different compound. And if we think about that, we could make 
thousands of changes to a structure to make thousands of different compounds. Because the change we've made is relatively small, it's going to have the same effects, more or less. As you get more changes, the chances are it's going to change, but many of them, the effects are going to be very similar. So you potentially could get thousands of different analogs, as we call them, that act the same way. Now, if we think about scheduling decisions, so these synthetic cannabinoids are schedule one, to get a compound permanently scheduled, you need to look at the pharmacology of that individual compound. Now, I've just said that you can make thousands of different analogs. So this would mean that the Department of Justice, the DEA, would need to get pharmacology on all these thousands of different compounds. And of course, what's going to happen is the illicit chemists on the street are bright, misguided, but bright. And they're always going to be one step ahead of the Department of Justice. So what we have within the states and we at the federal level is we have analog substance abuse analog laws and acts. And they differ a little between the federal and the states, but effectively, and for the lawyers out there, this is this is really bringing it down. But effectively, it's if we can show that they have substantially similar chemical structure and or substantially similar pharmacological activity and are intended for use in humans, that we can say that they are an analog and for that trial can be treated as a Schedule One substance if we can show that they are substantially similar in these two uh, Schedule One substance. And that's generally my role is I am being asked by the Department of Justice to show if I agree with them, and I don't always, I only do them if I agree, obviously, that they are substantially similar, the compound that's been discovered and isolated from this, whether it be a, a drug burst or a set of compounds or something they found, that it is substantially similar. So that is my, there's usually somebody on the other side who's been acquired by the defense who is basically saying they're not similar. So it often comes down to battle of the experts. Well, Dr. Coop, we've run out of time, but I... Um... I'm very, very happy that, that you agreed to join us, and I'm going to ask you to come back and maybe talk about another topic or two with us, if you can. It has been my pleasure, Hal, and I really hope that um, your listeners enjoyed this podcast, and I wish you all the best with this initiative. I really do. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll send that off to uh, my partners, Dr. Matthews and Dr. Vanoker. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good day. Goodbye. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. 
The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.